0: All right, we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes together for 12 weeks. We're going to do a flyover of each chapter, and though I would love to dig very deeply, uh, as we did with Philippians and Ephesians and other books of the Bible, uh, Ecclesiastes lends itself to this kind of or style of preaching. It's flyover. So though we could take two or three verses and make a whole message out of them, we're going to take a chapter at a time. Twelve chapters, and we're going to do one chapter a Sunday. And so today, we're going to start with Ecclesiastes 1, the whole chapter. Now this image here is of the desert, and as you can see, it's, it's either a sunset or a sunrise. We're not quite sure. But it's appropriate because... Everything under the sun is what Ecclesiastes is about. It's about life under the sun. And as we will see, this phrase, under the sun, is the key to Ecclesiastes. You know, if there's a locked door with treasure inside, and you can't get in except with a key, it would be really helpful to have the key. And Ecclesiastes is a book full of treasure, but its treasure cannot be realized, cannot be accessed in my opinion, without this phrase key called under the sun. And under the sun means life without God, life without future hope, life without eternity in view. It means the now minus God. And so we will see how this phrase works out and how life under the sun looks according to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. So let's start by just reading 1 to 11 together. We'll take this section first, and then we will go uh, verse by verse very quickly, and we'll end the chapter um, shortly. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things to be among those who come after. A bit depressing, but there's hope. And my goal for this, yes, depressing book is to shine the light of beyond the now, beyond life without God, and maybe to smash some of your hopes that you can find satisfaction in non-God. And so that will be the goal, to smash your hope, to, to, to make your vision of the beautiful and full life without God crumble like a sandcastle that waves hit. And then my goal is to rebuild a solid structure and foundation for you where true happiness, joy, and light of life is actually found. And that's what Ecclesiastes will help us to do. Let's start by going through verses 1 and 2. The words of the preacher or convener. Or collector this word in Hebrew means a, 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 a collector of people, and in addition he 's a collector of sayings or wisdom, a collector of wisdom and information. but he has assembled a people, and now he is going to teach them and so throughout Ecclesiastes you will see this preacher or teacher, and that is what it means the, the the teacher has collected people and he's now going to teach them from his own experience what he has learned. He reveals himself as the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now this word preacher is koheleth. And it is, as I said, a convener or gatherer of people to preach and teach. He is the leader of an assembly and the speaker to the assembly. King Solomon, I think, is in view here, and I will seek to prove this throughout the whole series, but I can't see anyone else here as the king of David, or son of David, king in Jerusalem. And when he describes himself in, in further chapters, I can't see this being anyone else but Solomon. And so he wants to say something to us here, and the first thing that he says at the opening of this book is, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This word uh, means breath, smoke, vapor. Breath, smoke, vapor. And his conclusion about life is that it is just that, breath, smoke, vapor. All is vanity. You can almost hear James picking up on this, right? What is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James is also, if you will, New Testament wisdom literature. This word is havel, havel. And it's translated many different ways in English. So what you can do if you want to know, okay, I don't have any you know, slamming Bible study software. How can I know? Well, you could just go on the internet and look at English versions and see how they translate this word vanity. And it's multiple and multiplied. So here's a few. Empty, meaningless, vanity, futile, nonsense, useless, pointless. Many times in Ecclesiastes, this is the main theme. And as we see here, There is a perspective of life that without God is meaningless. There is no purpose. It's nihilistic, if you will. Nothingness. Nothing matters. It's a very pessimistic view of life. Now, this preacher over Jerusalem is Solomon. And I want to move now very quickly to verse 12. The I, the preacher, same word have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Okay, so we jump down to verse 12, and the only one who has been king over all of Jerusalem that could be um, spoken of here, because David was his father, uh, is Solomon. Because after Solomon, his son divides the kingdom, and it's divided. And so Solomon has to be the one in view here. And he says, I have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. In verse 3... He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And here's our, here's our phrase, under the sun. This is your key, okay? Ecclesiastes is what life is like in a fallen world, okay? We could see here under the sun in import Genesis chapter 3 where God curses the ground. And God curses all of reality. He curses marriage. He curses relationships. He curses the man. He curses the woman. He curses work. He curses all of the universe, if you will. Everything is under God's judgment. This is life under the sun. And we are living in this under the sunness, if you will. It's what life is like in a fallen world under God's curse. You could say this is the secular worldview. This is what those who don't want God in their view, in their worldview, this is the hope they have. Vanity, breath, vapor, smoke, meaningless, emptiness, nothingness. And though many of us will not face that, when you think deeply, as this book is going to force us to do, you're forced to conclude the same. Yes, emptiness, meaningless, nothingness. Now, if you are a lover of the wisdom literature and scripture, which I am, you will find Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you'll find Job... And sometimes Song of Solomon is is put in there as well. But Proverbs has this, if you will, principles for wise living in God's world. And the idea is, if you will but apply certain principles, then life will go a certain way for you. And if you don't apply godly wisdom or principles, then life will not go a certain way for you. Now, remember, I just said principles. I didn't say promises. Because there are many promises that we put on Proverbs that are not promises, such as Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now many of you know about the, uh, the German philosopher Nietzsche who was brought up in a Christian home and not only rebelled against Christianity but literally called himself the Antichrist and then sought to destroy Christianity, to destroy the view of Jesus, and, and he was very successful in influencing many. But as you know, probably many of you, he died in an insane asylum and wrote what could only be said as demonic books, satanically inspired literature. Okay? But brought up in a Christian home, how does one go from being brought up in Christianity to calling himself, I am the Antichrist? Well, because Proverbs 22 6 is not a promise, it's a principle. And so Ecclesiastes, as another book to layer on top of Proverbs, is the exception to the rule. There's always exceptions to the rule, right? Zach Eswine, who wrote a book on Ecclesiastes that I appreciate, um, said this, you know the, the spelling rule, I before E, except after C? What's the exception? Weird. Weird. <laughs> That's weird. There's a lot of exceptions, right? But, but there's always except. You grammarians love this shirt. You're going to buy it tonight on Amazon, aren't you? There's exceptions to every rule, is there not? And so the idea of Proverbs, if we only take a Proverbs view of the world, we will be very disappointed, and we might even throw the book out itself. And another wisdom book in the Bible called Job would come in to show us that there are dark forces at work in the world that are opposed to us. That if you do not factor in real evil personified in a person named Satan, you are not wise. And so wisdom we want to take collectively. We want to take Proverbs and take the sayings of wisdom and apply them by the Spirit as much as we can. But we also want to take into account the exceptions to the rules, Ecclesiastes. Job, okay. So the the proverbs are wise, and you apply them with all your might and by the Spirit's power. But you must realize that there is always exceptions to the rules. This is Ecclesiastes one three. What does man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? Now this under the sunness, this this is characterized here in this verse by toil. You see the word toil? What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils, where? Under the sun. Toil is a word that means work, labor, troublesome work, anxiety-producing work, worried energy, or frustrating work. Parenting, right? This is it. This is all, all parenting. Okay, which wait till they become toddlers, and you'll see. And and all the ones who have made it through the toddler stage are like, amen. And all the ones who are in the teenager stage, amen. And past the teenager, right? Amen. And when we're living out our childhood, it's just fantastic. Remember, like vanity of vanities? Never that. This is great. But for parents, not so lovely. Um, The idea of toil is that we set our life to working. And as you know, if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, work is not a result of the curse. No, because work was in the garden prior to the curse. God created man and he created a beautiful environment for him and he gave him work to do, like care for the garden, like name and care for the animals, like be, mul- be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Only after man and woman sinned against God did God curse work. And so now your work listen, is literally cursed. How many of you, work is frustrating? At least half the time. Yeah, of course. Well, this is the toil that is being spoken of here. And listen, if you have a view of work, I get up, my alarm clock goes off. I drink my coffee or maybe my tea or maybe some water if I'm healthy, and then I go off to work, I punch in, I punch out, I come home, and I do it all over again tomorrow and next week, and oh God, when is the weekend coming? This is the laborsome toil that if you have the view of under the sun, in other words, this is all there is, you will be frustrated. You will think life futile, but... If you have the view that no, God is actually commending work and you can work in such a way that it has in eternity in view, eternal impact. Where do I get this from? I get this from the one who is a greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. We'll look at him in short amount of time here. But he himself said that a cup of cold water given in his name will not lose a reward. And that's, that's an easy form of toil, is it not? For you to bless someone else with something as small as a bottle of water, it will not lose its reward. But if there is no eternity, if there is no eternal reward, if there is no great day of judgment, even for the Christian for reward, it doesn't matter. All of your work, meaningless under the sun. We can get the flavor in the New Testament by looking at Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to, there's the word futility. There's the vanity. There's the under the sunness. This is the curse. This is the curse of Genesis 3. Not willingly, the creation didn't do this willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's God. God subjected this vanity upon us. This futility upon us. This meaningless upon us. Because if we want to walk away from him, and be our own God, which is what Satan promised, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Just do what he said not to do. So the abandoning of God's word and the doing of what God doesn't say to do, in essence, running away from God, God says, it will cause nothing but nothing. This is the idea, futility, frustration. God has placed this upon us, and we are living in the futility. But notice the in hope. Okay, I left that on the end there because that's coming for us by the end of the sermon. Okay, we're not without hope. Four to seven, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens, I love this, or you could translate that and returns panting to the place where it rises. Okay, these verses here, four and five, show a cyclicalness to reality, a a, a cycle. Look, a generation comes and a generation goes. Just as much as uh, the millennials are upon us, well, the, 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 the new iGen is upon us. And just as the Xers are now phasing out and the boomers are gone and the generations come and they go. And their music and culture is now dated and past radio stations, right? The movies bar- are barely worth watching because they're so corny and without CG, that's fantastic, Right? It's like, I know this is corny, but it's a classic. Yeah. And, and that's the idea. The generations come and they go, but the earth is just here. How many, this, bu- this building is an old building. How many people have passed through this building? How many people have driven through this corner since Pittsburgh has been around? How many people have lived and died? How many people have stood just where I'm standing? And the idea is the earth remains, but we come and go and come and go. And the sun rises and the sun goes down. Sunset, sunset, sunrise. Sunset, sunrise. It's a circle. Okay, over and over. And I love the the phrase here. It returns panting. It's like, (gasps) it's out of breath because as soon as it's set, it's got to get back up. As soon as it's set, it's got to get back up to the place where it rises, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, south, north. It's, it's picturing a circle again, to the south, to the north. The wind blows around. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And this is the idea of the water cycle. Right? The water cycle is such that the rains come down and the, the, the rain's got to take a course to the river and then the, ro- the river has to take a course to the ocean and all the while the sun is heating up the water and it's evaporating and it's going up into the sky and we have the hydrological cycle. Okay? On and on and on, the water is cycled and filtered and cycled and filtered. And, and the idea here of the wind is just that the wind comes and the wind goes from its source back to us, to its source, back to us, and on and on it will continue to go. These verses here are showing the cyclical nature of being, of reality. It's just a big circle. It's, it, it could be seen like this, okay? You guys are Penguin fans, some of you. Sidney Crosby wins the Stanley Cup. And he's, you know, he's just kissed it and threw it up to the sky. And the interviewer says, what's next? And he's like, we're going for another one. Right? And you're like, great, but dang, like, you just won. And now the very next thing is we got to win another one. Right? Uh, what happens when the bestseller gets a bestseller award? It's like, let's do it again. I got to hit, hit bestseller again. Or, or how about, ah, this is a good one, how about you mothers and fathers of young children? You change the diaper, and what's inevitable? About to change that diaper again. A new case of wipes upon a new case of wipes upon a new size of diaper upon a new size of diaper, right? Or how about this, uh, uh, keepers of houses? H- how many times do you vacuum or sweep the floors with the broom? And while you're doing it, you're like, a couple hours, Couple days, I'm gonna to have to do it again. As I'm changing the oil, I know in 3,000 miles it's gonna to have to happen again. And as you're getting your car inspected for the year in Pennsylvania, it's required. You know that in one year's time, as soon as that sticker hits, boom, I have one year before it happens again. And so, and we could do this all day, couldn't we? This is the idea it's that life is circular, circular. It, it happens over and over. It's monotonous. It is cursed, if you will. It never goes anywhere, is the point. You just have to do it over and over and over again. How many of you are so excited to get a new piece of technology? Like, I got the newest iPhone, and it has animojis on it. I can talk, and, and, and I send the text, and it's a rabbit with my voice and my facial expressions. This is fantastic, right? only to realize next September, the new one's coming out. <laughs> Dang. Like my, my technology gets outdated every year, every year, every year, every year. And as soon as you buy the 2019 Jaguar, which none of us, I think, can afford that, but bear with me for illustration. As soon as you buy the newest Jaguar, you know, you get it home, you park it in the garage, you lock it, and then boom the 2020 comes out and it's way better it's way fresher it's way nicer and you're like oh you know you look at yours and you're like i guess I'll trade it in in a couple years it's depressing isn't it okay if listen if you're only living for this this under the sunness is this depressing friends christians transcend and go above the sun we look for eternity and we find no satisfaction in created things Only temporary satisfaction. Listen, if you are looking for ultimate satisfaction in the things God had made, you are on a quest for chasing after wind. You will grab for water and it will elude you every time. Can you imagine the, the comedy of someone chasing the wind? You know, the wind blows, you feel it on your face and you see them running after it. You know, it's just, it's this, what are you doing? And that's the image of you trying to find satisfaction in created things. And yet we do it day in and day out, don't we? And, and you see, the teacher here, Solomon, is trying to show us, I have wisdom for you. I have a warning for you. I want to show you the pit. So Solomon, in this book, is going to grab us, in a sense, by the neck, take us to the edge of the pit, and say, look at it, with a smile. And then he's going to pull us back, and in chapter 12, he's going to give us the answer. Hey, but we're going to focus on the answer every week because I don't want you guys going out of here depressed. Blaise Pascal, in the 1670s, this was um, published after he died. It's called Thoughts. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. This is what Solomon's saying. Yet he's saying it without even knowing his if you will, grandson to come. He's saying that there is this God-sized hole in your soul that it doesn't matter how many movies you stuff in there. It doesn't matter how big your house you stuff in there. It doesn't matter how much technology or, or an armory you build for yourself. It doesn't matter. You will not be satisfied if you're not finding the capital S satisfier. That's what he's saying. However... I want to give you something that can brighten up those four verses. G.K. Chesterton is a Catholic theologian. He's dead. He wrote a book called Orthodoxy. How many of you read Orthodoxy? Okay, a few of you. It's a fantastic read. I'm I'm three-fourths through it. And in here, he has this idea about God that perhaps God is more young than we are, though he's the ancient of days. I'll show you what he means because children have an abounding vitality that's like energy vigor because they are in spirit fierce and free therefore they want things repeated and unchanged they always say do it again and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead hey, this this is my son I put him up on the ceiling he's like yeah and then as soon as I put him down he's like again you know up in the, and my arms are starting to get tired You you push them on the swing, and after they start to slow down, they're like, do it again, and you push them, and they swing, and and you're worn out, and they're just excited for again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. That's you and me. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again. To the sun, And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. And doesn't that just hit you in a truthful kind of soul-smacking way? It's as as if Chesterton took your soul and was like, wake up. At least it does that for me. And here's what the teacher, the preacher, is trying to show us. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Notice the under the sun. It is a thing of which is said, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, or people, you could translate that, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, or people, yet to be among those who come after. What is being said here is this. All things are full of weariness. The weariness literally means tiredness. You're worn out. You're spent. All things are full of being spent. A man cannot utter it. In other words, it's too much for words to describe. It's so wearisome, I can't even lay it out for you. The eye, but I'll try, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. Now, you know this. How many binge-watching experience do you have to have before you're like, it still doesn't satisfy me? Like how many, how many seasons have you blown through on Netflix and you're still not happy? The I never, how many vacations have you been on to amazing places and you're like, I still need another vacation. Like you get home from the plane ride and you're like, that plane ride was exhausting. I need another vacation, right? I've been on vacation and said, I need a vacation from vacation because this is wearisome <laughs> depending on how your vacation goes. Okay? Some vacations cannot be restful. They can only be stressful. Yeah, that's a reality and this is life under the sun. Okay? You go to rest and rest escapes you. You chase it like the wind and you can't catch the rest. Such is life under the sun. This is the curse, friends. And if you don't take this into account you will not be wise. This is wisdom literature. If you do not take these things that the teacher, that Solomon is here giving you as a gift of wisdom, you will not be wise. Take them to heart. Meditate on them. Seek to live them out. Or how about this one? Nor the ear filled with hearing. Now listen, I'm old school. I'm almost 39 next month. Okay, I had tapes. Anybody tape people? And Walkman's. Anyone remember Walkman's? I remember the one Steve Jobs movie with Ashton Kushner, and, and, and he's got his, his CD player with the headphones, this ancient artifact now, and he's like trying to get it to work and it won't work, and I remember he just he throws it in the trash and walks by all frustrated, and it's like the dawn of the iPod. And the idea now is, man, when when the iPod, when MP3 players came to be, I was like, my whole CD case that is this fat can fit in this little thing. But then Spotify comes out and Apple Music and Amazon Music and YouTube Music and you're like, yet, you happy yet? Can't wait for the next one to drop. You see, you can have it all. Literally, if you have Apple Music, you have the entire library of music known to man at your fingertips, and you're still not happy. Right? Come on. You'd be smiling right now if you were, and you're not smiling. You can have it. You have it. If you have internet, you have it. And yet you're still not happy. This is the wisdom that Solomon is trying to give us. If you're looking for ultimate meaning and satisfaction in these things, what the eye can see, what the ear can hear, you will not be satisfied. But if you will accept that ironically and enjoy it for what it is, a gift of God, you actually can start enjoying it. Be thankful for the gifts of music that God has given you. Be thankful for the creative film that God has enabled you to see and be blessed by. But if you're looking for ultimate fulfillment out of these things, you will be frustrated. You you will be the one who gets the tattoo, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, real big across your chest in Old English. That'll be you. And you don't have to get that tattoo. You can get, I have come to give life and life to the fool. That's the tattoo we want. And, And only through Christ... Bringing us to the eternal father, the source, the fountain of all joy, goodness, and beauty, can we find the satisfaction that we were made to find? You see, if you were made for something, and you don't engage the very thing you were made for, you by default will be frustrated. And so if you're not engaging the God who made you for relationship with him, you are going to be eternally frustrated. Frustrated vanity. Okay, verse nine. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already, uh, it it has been in ages before us. And and so the idea here is, he's not talking about technological advances. Here's why. You might be tech savvy enough to have a smart house and you may be able to walk in to your house and be like Alexa turn on my air conditioner to 72. Alexa turn on you know your favorite whatever song okay and and that might happen and you might might be like see Alexa turn on my lights Bam! that never happened before but is it not the same thing as the ancients before electricity taking fire and lighting a lantern, and then when they're done, just going. Phew. Is it not an ancient taking up? You might be able to say, Alexa, play whatever, King's Kaleidoscope. But isn't it just like the ancients picking up the guitar? Isn't it? Isn't it, in essence, the same? You you might say, man, I I can go on the internet and contact anybody in the world at the push of a button. Yes, however, it's still communication. And though it had to travel land and sea in the past, communication still traveled, did it not? And see, this is the idea that, that it has been done before. Yes, there are new ways of doing it. Yes, it's amazing and exciting, but it's not really new. It's not really new. And then verse 11 says, There is no remembrance of the former things, or people is a better translation, I think. Nor will there be any remembrance of later people, yet to be among those who come after. Now, here's how we should think about this. (laughs) This has been brought to my attention in the past, and as I thought about it, it blew my mind. How many of you know the name of your great-great-great-grandfather? Dag, how about your great-grandfather? I mean, that's your family. (laughs) And, And see, there's only a few individuals out of the billions, maybe trillions upon trillions of people who have existed that we know their name. And the vast oceans of people are gone and forgotten. History has swallowed them alive. And don't imagine that you will be remembered. You won't be. Not even your grandkids or your great-grandkids will probably remember you. And if you're like, yes, they will, what's the name? (laughs) What's the name? And that blew my mind, because I really don't know my great-grandfather's name. Now, you might be like, that's sad, dude, but I'll bet that's the majority of us in here. might be two of you who are really dope on family ties and tree, Maybe. And see, this is the idea, is that if you're living to be known, I want to be remembered and known. Probably not. You know Augustine's name, but you know he wrote more books than you have words to say. You know the Apostle Paul, but that's because God exalted him because of how God crushed him while he was living. And the idea is there's very few people who are remembered. And so listen, if you're living for that, if you're like, I'm going to find ultimate meaning by being remembered, by leaving a deep mark on history, probably not. Probably not. And so the idea of under the sunness will be frustrating to you. And I don't know if any of you have sought to be famous. You know, f- uh, social media can give us the illusion that we're famous. It's like, you've probably seen my post last week probably not. But the idea is we, we think we post something and then the world is awed, Like this is, this is amazing. They're going to love, bam, this. And, and the idea is you, no one cares. <laughs> they're probably thinking judging thoughts of your posts. Now, I love you, but that's the way we, if, if you do it to others when they post, they're doing it to you. So if you read someone's post and you're like, must be nice to go there, sucka. they're doing that to you if if their posts make you judge them you don't think you're being judged on every post but yet see we get the illusion i got my own website i got my own network i know thousands of people meanwhile if you showed up and you were like hi you know you shook that person's name who's friend on your facebook they'd be like who are you and are you here to hurt me rob me are you trying to sell me some multi-level marketing stuff what is this about right (laughs) Okay, so th- I could go on with illustrations, but you get verse 11, right? No remembrance of former things. The idea is technology surpasses us quickly. People multiply. You know, the old greats in hip-hop are now the old school cats. And now it's moving so fast that within five years, you're old school. It's like, no, I'm not. Y- yeah, you are. You're old school. Okay? And, and if you will not engage in what you engage in, listen to me. For the glory of God and for the joy of it, you will be frustrated. So I'm not dissing social media. Social media your heart out. However, if you're doing it to be known or to be famous or get something fixed in you that's broken that only God can heal, meaningless vanity chasing after the wind. Okay? Check your heart and and see why do I do the things I do. And maybe, just maybe, you might be liberated from the under-the-sunness, which would be glorious. Wouldn't it? The frustration, the futility, the chasing after the wind. We have to move fast. Let's go 12 to 18 very quickly. We're going to fly through this, and we're done in six minutes. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So there's the, um, the, the declaration of the preacher that he was king over Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, all that is done under heaven. Now, now that's a crazy verse right there. But here's what we see. Okay, Solomon was given wisdom beyond our wildest imaginations. I mean, you remember uh, the text where Solomon falls asleep and he's having a dream, and God literally shows up to him and says, "Solomon, ask what you will. You have one wish." And he says, I want to have a wise and discerning heart so that I might govern the people you've given me, that I might shepherd your flock. And God says, I will give you what you've asked. And because you've not asked for riches or for the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you what you haven't asked for. I'm going to give you wealth and fame and glory, and I'm just going to pour it out on you. And you know the story. Solomon was the wisest man, the richest man, the most popular man. People from all over the world gathered just to hear him speak. He threw a conference and people from other countries flew in in droves because of Solomon's wisdom. Here we have a taste of it. 1 Kings 4, 29 to 31, and then we'll jump to 33 to 34. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Measure it. IQ test blows it up 100%. You, you, there's no test to measure his wisdom. He blows every one of them up. And the breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore. Now, I, I have been to the beach and I've picked up globs of sand and there's got to be thousands in one handful. So the, his understanding is beyond measure. The breadth of his mind, the, the, the spacious vastness of it, like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. Jump to 33. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So, so you have, not only does he know just wise sayings in philosophy and in theology, but he knows about the forest. He knows about the creatures in the forest. He could identify leaves on weeds and plants and trees and be like, that's this, that's that, that's this, this is its properties. I mean, this guy was beyond imagination-wise and understanding, beyond what we could imagine. And so he says here, look, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all, I think that's a real all there. He literally tried to figure out all things, all that is done under heaven. Now notice the under heaven there, it changed, okay? The under heaven is a glimmer of hope, okay? Because under the sun, no God. Under heaven, this takes into view God. Okay, and this is, again, our interpretive key. If we're just living life without God, meaningless vanity chasing after the wind. But under heaven, with God in view, with eternity in view, with eternal reward in, in perspective, life is not meaningless or vanity. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So here's what he's noticed life in this present state of curse and brokenness is an unhappy business. We have glimmers of happiness and praise God for that, but on the whole there's unhappy things that abound every day as we just heard Eddie pray about. You know, in the midst of joys and triumphs in a, in a in a congregation of this size, there is many many unhappy things if people would just open up and tell you what was going on. And the idea is, believe it or not, this is a result of our, yes, falling into sin, but then God's judgment of our falling into sin. This is the futility of Romans 8. It is an unhappy business that God has, given, God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is vanity and striving after wind. Let's finish. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Okay, let's stop on 15. There are some things in a broken world that cannot be fixed. You realize this, right? We, we used to do Bible studies outside of Panera Bread, and um, this, this woman showed up who was blind. And she was telling me her, her story, and it was heartbreaking. And we prayed for her, but there's no fixing that. I mean, there's just some things that break that cannot be fixed, Some relationships break and they cannot be fixed. Some things go crooked and they cannot be straightened. Listen, under the sun. And it would be wise of you to realize this and come to terms with it. This is wisdom, friends. Remember, this is a book of wisdom. There are some things that cannot be straightened out. And if you're fixated on the crookedness and you won't be happy until it's straightened, you will be unhappy. You must come to terms with we live in a broken world and we are broken ourselves and there are some things that will not be straightened. Now, can God heal? Absolutely. Can God uh, speak to the dead and see it rise? He can. But not at our will. Not because we want it bad. Not even because we believe he will. It's to his choosing. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. Now, this could have only been David, Saul, and then maybe the lesser uh, judges and rulers of Israel. Before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, we don't have time, but this text right here, Proverbs 3, 13 to 18, shows the the value of wisdom versus foolishness. There is value to wisdom, and if you will set your heart to wisdom, it will go better for you. It will go better for you. However, life under the sun, here as a curse... The wisdom even of Proverbs does not always apply. And so here, let's, let's get a little bit of hope into the picture. Romans 8, Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's still happening, as he wrote this 2,000 years ago. It's still happening 2,000 years later. The whole creation groans, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis forest fires and so on and not only the creation but we we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit that's christians only christians have the holy spirit living in them we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies and so here what we have is it's it's the curse it's life under the sun but notice here that there is a waiting for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, here's the key. You can live with hope and you can work in the world. Whatever work God has given you, we will see in coming weeks that God says, or Solomon says, do it with all your might because it's a gift from God. But you can do it in such a way that this will have eternal implications, Right now, though I experience much frustration, it will not always be so. This is not how it's going to be forever. Though people have bad attitudes, I'm going to a place where there are no more bad attitudes. Though my body hurts, one day I'm going to a place that my body will never hurt again. Though I experience Crushing mental anxieties and depressions. One day I will have a new physicality that will not allow for anxiety and depression and panic attacks, etc. You see, the hope of the future must come into the now, and you transcend under the sun and you rise to the view of heaven and you get up another day and say, I will live with eternity in view. Remember, he subjected the world to futility in hope. In hope. Hope is looking into the future, seeing glory, seeing goodness, and bringing that hope into the present, and it rising you, raising you out of the pit. And that's what we need. Now, who bought this, raising us from the pit? Now, you know the answer. God himself, the one who is greater than Solomon, the queen of the south, Matthew 12, 14. 42 will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth she was those uh, of the nations that came to hear Solomon to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater something greater than Solomon is here Jesus is saying Solomon's wisdom only pointed to my infinite wisdom Solomon gave you a view of life under the sun but I have come to give give you a heavenly perspective One that transcends under the sun. And what did Jesus say? He said, you must come to me. This is the wisdom, friends. You must come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, not vanity, not toil, not wearisomeness. Rather, say it, rest. Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. See, this is the promise to you, friends. This is the promise to me. And we must do the hard work of seeking to remember, to remember that this is not all there is. Life with its many frustrations and perplexing situations and crushing paradoxes and unexplainable crookedness that can't be straightened. Friends, this is all but temporary. And God is in the business of redeeming and fixing even now. And if you're a Christian, you're one of those who he has started his improvement project on. Isn't that beautiful? Are you a little bit better than you were two years ago if you're a Christian? Like in some respect, are you improved at all? No, 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 you're not perfect. And there's many moments of weakness in which you think, am I even a Christian? Of course. This is the Christian life. But amazingly, after we fall flat on our face and there's blood coming out of our nose, we somehow, against hope, get up and we dust ourselves off and we continue to worship another day. Isn't that amazing? I'm still clinging to God. Knowing how that is, that He is all the while clinging to me. Way tighter. And even if I gave a non-grip... His hold would stand. Now friends, the way God grabs us is through the cross. This is the only way that we come to know the love of God. This is the only way that we come to know the forgiveness of God. This is the only way that we come to experience the justice of God because one has stepped into what we deserve, our eternal hell, if you will. He he soaked it up on the cross. And so we're going to celebrate this soaking up of our vanity of vanities, the soaking up of our striving after wind, when we should have been striving after him. And only in Christ, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, because we've embraced Jesus as our Savior, because we've embraced his forgiveness, can we have hope beyond this brokenness. And friends, we do have hope. And hope does not disappoint us because it's rooted in the great promiser who always keeps his promises. And his promise to you is if you will but cling to me, you will find that I am actually the one clinging to you. And you will find as you get to know your Bible closer and closer that you can only come to him because he first calls out to you and draws you in and brings you close and holds you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter. And friends, we don't have to live under the sun as if there's no heavenly father for we have a heavenly father who loves us beyond what we can imagine.